Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. What's up, guys? Johnny here, and welcome to episode five of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. This week, we have Stephen Winston from Northern California. Stephen's teaching English all around Thailand as a way to travel. Uh, we also happen to have been in the same remote island um, that has the best scuba diving in the entire world. And we talk about why you need to get on that right now because there's a chance that opportunities like this will never exist again. Today we have our guest Stephen Winston. Um, he used to be a radio host for Mix 104.9 up in the uh, Bay Area in uh, California. So uh, what's up, Stephen? How you doing? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. So me and Stephen actually just met about 20 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> do you want to say where? Uh, we met at a local Thai uh, shack, if you will. It's one of those Thai restaurants that usually just has plastic chairs and fold-out tables, but they usually have the best food, so... Yeah, and it was a bit random. Uh, so it was just right, da- right downstairs from my hotel, I was going to go to Team Quest to do some MMA Muay Thai, but I got lazy, decided, hey, I'm just going to grab some food, uh, have a night in, and watch some UFC. And while I was down there, um, I'm, you know, I'm sitting there bored, eating, just walking around, and this guy walks in, uh, only white guy in my neighborhood because it's a, a pretty Thai place. And um, I don't know, you just, I, we just ended up striking a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty hard to meet like white people in Thailand, huh? I mean, no, it's the easiest thing. I mean, you're walking down the street. We live here in a real Thai cultured area and to see a white person walk down the street, you're almost like obligated to jump his bones. Be like, what are you doing here? What are you going to get to eat? Do you speak English? And so it just kind of worked out easily for us, but uh, it's good meeting you and thanks again for having me out here. Yeah, no worries. And, and the reason why I wanted to have you on is I want to get the perspective um, of a guy who's been traveling uh, I guess kind of four parts of it is first, why you decided to travel, um, how you're making money while you're traveling, and where are some cool places you've been. And uh, while we were sitting down talking, we, we discovered that we were both on the same random island uh, that has possibly the greatest scuba diving we've had in anywhere the in the world. Yeah. So let's get to that uh, in a second. But let's start with your story on, on why you decided to start traveling and when, when that was. Well, it was uh, about a year ago. And I had actually been accepted in a scholarship program to go to Israel for about a month. And uh, just traveling around that with some friends all around the U.S. that I'd never met before. Now they're friends. And just kind of getting immersed in a new culture, backpacking, and seeing the world from a different perspective, I think, is the best way to put it. You know, when you're stuck in America, you're always stuck on your two-week holiday max. And then once you're in the working world, it becomes days. Uh, and if you can manage to get out and see the world for a long period of time, I think your mind opens up quite a bit. So did you plan on traveling for this long? No, actually, it's a good story. Actually, I bought a one way ticket. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, after I bought a one way ticket, you know, I had a bunch of friends and family sit down and go, oh, you know, he's going to be gone for about a month or two weeks. Oh, we'll see him before his birthday, you know, stories like that. But it ended up just keep going along, you know, if. 
You know, you can manage to travel with, you know, a seven to eight kilo backpack and pick up jobs along the way. You'd be surprised how much, how much longer you can travel for. Yeah, definitely. For me, my original trip out here was supposed to be for three weeks. And that was in 2008. <laughs> and that was a long time ago. See, I'm, I'm fairly new to it. Uh, I'm still a 2012 uh, newbie. But, you know, from backpacking the world to couch surfing to sleeping on beaches to just pushing every penny you have, you'd be surprised how far you can take it if you're willing to. Uh, if you're not just trying to check things off a list and get back home, I think the world kind of opens up. And that's funny how we got to the same island because I didn't even know that island existed until I got to Malaysia. Yeah, uh, me either. And I think I'm willing to bet 99% of the people in the world, especially back home in the U.S., uh, have never even heard of it. But once you've been there, you ask yourself, why is this not? <laughs> why it, doesn't anyone know? About <laughs> yeah, this? like, you know, because yeah. you, you've heard of, you know, Hawaii. Everyone's heard of Great Barrier Reef. Everyone's heard of some people might have heard the, the Blue Hole um, in Costa Rica. But those places actually aren't that amazing. They're just very popular. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And surprisingly, once you start researching scuba diving, as it's become kind of a hobby of mine since I've been to Koh Tao here in Thailand, but you research scuba diving and Borneo, Sipid and dive, dive Area is actually one of the top ranked dive sites in the world, yet no one even knows about it as a holiday. So surprising. Yeah. Well, what was actually really surprising to me is when I started looking up top 10 dive destinations, uh, it would be on there, but no, it wouldn't really be up top because what would happen is a lot of those lists are written by people who've never been diving. You know, there are people that work for magazines or journalists and they, they just want to pump out content. Um, so to actually find out where the best places are to dive, you need to ask someone. You need to go. You, yeah. <laughs> just go and, you know, and ask people who've actually been diving to, right. to random places. Um, so this island we're talking about is called Sipinan and it's, it's part of Borneo, which already a lot of people don't know where that is. Um, I didn't know where it was the first time I went. And I think you were saying the same. Yeah, it, it kind of, you think of Malaysia, you think of a country as like one whole part. But I got lost not knowing that Malaysia is actually two parts completely. There's a left side of the, if you will, left side of <laughs> Malaysia. That's, you know, Kuala Lumpur and the Patronus Towers. And that's a landmark in itself. But then you actually have to take a plane all the way to the other part of the island, which is still part of Malaysia, more towards the Philippines and Indonesia. Yeah, so the big island of Borneo actually consists of three countries. Uh, it's Indonesia, Malaysia, and Brunei. And it's really strange when you, when you look at it, you would think, why did they split this island into three countries? I have no idea. <laughs> and I mean, I, other yeah. than that separate money for dive centers, I'm not really sure. I think the, the history of it was... Actually, um, Brunei owned a big part of it, but they got sick of being attacked by whatever country it is to, to the right um, of them. So they gave it to Malaysia and say, you know what, if you can, you know, kind of hold off the border so we don't get attacked anymore, you can have this country. Yeah, that actually spurs up a conversation that we had with our dive center at the time. Uh, there had been some Filipino attacks actually in Malaysia to possibly get some of that land back. But then we just all went out and went diving and pretended like nothing was going on. So... I guess that's kind of your backpacker touristy, you know, just turn one shoulder, turn your head up, whatever. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> well, even on the, the island of Mabul where all the dive centers are based, it's a very peaceful resort island. It's beautiful. And there's probably zero crime on the island because it's so small. But they actually have a small army base with people armed with machine guns 24-7 mm. just in case Filipino pirates come invade. 
Yes, pirates still do exist before we go any further. Yeah, pirates do exist. Yeah, and it's crazy because not that long ago, I think it was just a few years ago, uh, the pirates came, I think it was to Sibidan, um, and held a bunch of tourists hostage. Uh, and there were American tourists, and I believe some other countries as well. So they started taking that very seriously. They started having 24-7 armed guards. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things where it doesn't deter me from traveling because... Even though that's a possibility, the possibility of random crimes happening in the U.S. are much, much higher. <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny how you brought that up because the one fear factor, if you will, that comes from the American perspective on traveling is what could happen to you. Everyone's seen the movie Hostel or these horrible backpacker stories. And everyone's like, how, how did you live in Southeast? I mean, the crime out there must just be crazy. Honestly, I haven't felt threatened once, knock on wood. In Southeast Asia and maybe just because yeah. I'm obviously a tourist like you saw me today and obviously yeah. there's the white guy but and, and here you are following random guys you met <laughs> at a restaurant into his hotel room 20 minutes later you know you just kind of <laughs> go with it I mean as a as a traveler you kind of forget about all the you know bullshit of where you're from or what are you doing for a living you know what kind of car do you drive you know just all those questions that mean absolutely nothing and you just get, start to get to know someone based on what they've done. And I think that trust level builds between character a lot faster than just tangible. Yeah, tangible goods. Because anybody can buy the latest iPhone. I mean, if mm. you know, if I saw that you had a five, you know, iPhone 5S and I had one, I wouldn't instantly... Start conversation. Yeah, I wouldn't feel like I have a bond with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if we both traveled to the same remote random island to go scuba diving... There, I know we have much sim more similar personalities. Well, even that, just meeting tonight. I mean, you look at where we are. We're obviously two or three of the foreign people in this whole area. And when you see someone, you feel obligated to say hi and just get to know them at a level without keeping in mind tangible goods or what kind of motorcycle do you have? Do you work here? Do you live here? Uh, whatever. We're here right now and we're at the same restaurant and you start sharing stories. Yeah, it's really cool. And the best thing I think about meeting other travelers uh, is finding out how big this world is and how many amazing places there are to go. Mm. Um, before I started traveling, I had a little checklist of maybe 10 places in the world that I wanted to go. And that was London, Australia, uh, I don't know, that's Las, it. Las Vegas. <laughs> you got the two. <laughs> yeah. And now my list is, is so long that I don't even like thinking about it because I, I just want it to happen when it happens. Because if I start yeah. thinking, you know, if I really start ticking off all the places I, I want to go in the world, it's, it's almost infinite. Yeah. It's funny because like you were asking me earlier why I traveled and a lot of the greatness of what I feel is what I've accomplished in my traveling is I have zero plan. I have no idea what I'm doing. And that scares a lot of people, but to travel the way, I mean, I think we both are, even though you might have a list in mind, if you're not following any certain plan, you just kind of pop up and show up these places and you just look at everything with an open mind, you'd be surprised how many places you actually go by just not worrying about where you're going uh, and just kind of, oh, hey, Chiang Mai is a good city. Oh, Borneo, why don't you go there? Oh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so yeah, you definitely know, never know where you're going to end up, mm -hmm. um, but one topic that I think a lot of people listening would be really interested in is how did you manage to travel for this amount of years or this whole year um, on your savings or have you been working along the way? Well, it's funny you ask. I mean, a lot of people ask, how much money should you sh save before you go traveling? 
And that's kind of a ridiculous question because there's a saying for backpackers called flashpacker. And if you want to save a lot of money and stay in nice places, hotels and resorts and go do touristy attractions, you're going to spend a lot of money and waste a lot of time. But I showed up with a backpack and trying to find places to stay for cheap at the same time looking for work. And with that, I would meet locals, try to get in touch with people who own businesses. And before you know it, actually the first week in Australia, I was already farming on, believe it or not, a palm tree farm where a guy, all he had me do was mulch palm trees and he paid for my living and food and he sold palm trees to hotels around the world. That was what his business was. And I was able to just live in Australia for free. I didn't spend any money. I didn't, there was no money going out. I wasn't making anything. Just living for three, four weeks, get used to the culture and everything. So I'd pick up odd jobs and then I'd move into a city and try to make money to save up more. But honestly, it is what you make of it. If you're willing to do the oddball jobs, you can make it. And with that being said, Australia was a country that's really, really expensive. And you can't stay there very long no matter how much money you've saved because it's just ridiculously expensive. So you have to pick up these kind of jobs to keep going. Uh, lucky for us, you know, we come to Thailand and I didn't even know I could teach English out here. All of a sudden, I'm picking up a job just because I shaved my beard and had a college degree. And I'm making close to m like middle wage income out here living pretty easily on an easy salary. So what's the, the low end of a Thai salary? Like the average Thai person makes how much per month? Well, I think it's better just to say how much they make per day. They make an average about two to 300 baht a day, which is equivalent to about maybe six to $10 a day. Um, okay. You never really know, that's the average. Um, and you have to understand these Thai workers are also working at least six to seven days a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're saying at least six, but most of them don't really have many days off. Um, okay. And as, as an English teacher, how much do you make per day and how many days a it's week It's actually work? quite shameful, to be honest. I mean, I'm making close to a thousand baht a day for each day I work, even though I'm not working seven, six days a week. Um, so it's unfair, I think. I don't know who came up with the rules, but if it let, you know, lets me learn the culture and keep traveling, then... I don't see why I wouldn't stay any longer. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think as a, a single guy, you know, if you don't want to share an apartment, you actually do need to make um, that amount of money. I think the only reason why Thai people can get by making less than 300 baht a day, which is less than $10 a day, live with each other, is, yeah. yeah, because they, they'll share, you know, an apartment with their whole family, with four or five people. So they have multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely a little bit more expensive on your own. I think that actually brings up a good point about also Thai culture as a whole. It's interesting to think, you know, back in America, if you're a 21, let's say, let's say even just 18 or older male or female, and you're not out of the house, or you're not out of your family's house, you kind of looked a little down on. You kind of looked, hey, why are you still living at home if you're 22? Why are you still living at home? In Thailand, it's the complete opposite. If you're a 23, 24-year-old guy, it's actually not uncommon to be living in that apartment with your entire family. Maybe up till you even find a wife or a girlfriend to live with, but until then, it's it's actually not common at all. So they do save quite a lot of money that way. Yeah, um, but definitely it's cool for, for us having the option to have your own place. Uh, so your apartment, I actually looked at renting before. Um, before I moved in here. And the only reason why I didn't was because they required a longer contract, which I wasn't willing to sign. Uh, what do you pay for your room? 
Um, with everything included, that's, you know, a flat screen TV and a refrigerator and keeping in mind the amount of water and electric I use, it actually totals almost exactly at 6,000 baht a month. Um, what is that in dollars? Uh, that's close. That's like $180, I think. Okay. And that's um, including electricity and water. That's and including everything. So Wi-Fi? Uh, that's including Wi-Fi, yeah. That you is know, ridiculously cheap. Only problem with Wi-Fi is it has that, you know, one login type uh, security system. So you're only allowed to have one piece logged in at a time, which can be frustrating, but it works. Okay. But for 180 bucks a month for... Yeah, how mu- I'm not complaining. Yeah, and it, it's a brand new construction. I think they just built yeah. that place recently. Yeah. Um, it's actually really big rooms and... I mean, I think it, it's like 32 to 34 square meters, I think it is, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a really big room, and it's everything's brand new. You got a, was it a, at least a queen, if not a king-size bed. Yeah, it's a king uh, concrete bed. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not the most comfortable bed in the world, but you learn to appreciate it, you know, when you pay $180 a yeah. month, it's okay. But I mean, the greatest thing about, you know, having your entire fixed income, I mean, fixed um, expenses being 180 bucks a month is it frees you up, frees up your income to do everything else, whatever else you want to do. Um, so the average teacher in English teacher in Chiang Mai, I know makes around 29,000 baht, which is about a thousand US. Um, and if your rent is only 180, that still frees up more than $800 a month to, to save up, to travel, to basically do whatever you want with. Yeah, I, it's a good point. I mean, honestly, that's why I'm saying it's a little shameful for me to say I make so much money compared to an average Thai person. But I do realize that I am going out to eat all day, every day. I haven't cooked a meal in a very long time. Yeah, but at the same time, how much did you spend on dinner tonight? Uh, a good 30 baht, which is equivalent to $1. So, <laughs> I mean, I am saying that, but I do eat often. I'm not trying to say it's the same thing, but by any means, we are putting money back in the economy where I'm buying a motorcycle, I'm traveling around, I'm staying in hostels when I travel, I'm you know, taking buses, I'm doing all the travel, like touristy things that they want money to be spent on. So I think with them paying us the amount of salary they do, they kind of, kind of hope that we just put the money right back in the economy, which I actually think most teachers do because it's just too good to live here and travel around. And so we mostly spend all the money we make here anyways. Yeah, definitely. Especially the guys that go out and drink every night. <laughs> they spend all their money on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is a good point. But, you know, Thai people drink almost every day of the week. So if you fall in that category, then you're definitely spending all your money, even though drinking a beer here is still far significantly less than drinking a beer back in the States. It's more, it's about, what would you say, 40, 50 baht equivalent to a dollar twenty-five. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's always less than $2. So it's basically happy hour all the time, <laughs> no matter where you go, which is kind of nice. Yeah, for a large beer. That's not even, what's the equivalent? A 12 ounce, it's more like a 36 ounce beer. <laughs> right. So it, yeah, that's true. So, like so, that. so yeah, definitely the cost of alcohol here is, is definitely a lot less. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons why I... I I like the fact that you're sharing your experience about being a teacher out here is it's another revenue stream that guys that, you know, say, hey, I want to quit my job back home. I just got out of college. Um, I got laid off or whatever it is. Uh, if you want to come out and just travel and just see Thailand or see, you know, really anywhere in Asia, you can do this in Taiwan, you can do this in Korea, you can do this, you know, yeah. basically anywhere in the world. Um, you can show up and as long as you're clean shaven, you put on a, a dress shirt, and you have a college it's degree, possible, yeah. and it doesn't even does it even matter what what your college degree is in. No, uh, not really. It helped that mine was actually in teaching, but that's because I was just confident in showing up to a school. That's really all it takes is just 
showing up, shaving, making sure you're clean shaven, appearance is everything to these Southeast Asian cultures. And then just just act like you're the part and tell them you're there to stay at least for a little while and they'll they'll trust you, you know. They'll definitely let you teach for a 6 month to a year term. Don't feel like you're signing your life away. Um, it's definitely short term and they know that. So if you're willing to stay longer, that's good for you and them. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's cool. So you guys don't need to go out and do a $4,000 course on, you know, to become a teacher. You don't need to sign up for a program. You don't even need to do a Tefla. If you have a college degree in really realistically anything and you're a native English speaker, especially if you're a white guy or a white girl, uh, I guarantee you can get a job yeah. just by walking in. Yeah, a lot of it's just... If you want to teach, you know, if it's something you want to do, I'm not saying it's an easy job. It's like, hey, it's the best backpacker job in the world. It's definitely hard and it has its challenges. And you you do need to be willing to commit yourself to teaching English. You can't just show up and babysit for, you know, six months. But I I would say it works. One of the the downsides of teaching um, that my friends who are teaching out here say is they, she, like yesterday I was hanging with my friend Rochelle and she mentioned how much she likes weekends in Chiang Mai. And I couldn't figure out for a second what she meant. And then she she said, oh, yeah, it's because it's the only days of the week I actually have time to hang out. And I had re- I really have taken that, you know, taken for granted um, by working from home that basically any day of the week, if I there's something going on, I can go out and do it versus um, being a teacher or having a set schedule kind of limits you from that. Yeah, well, just like any job back in America, you'd have the same thing. But where I think... It benefits the most is the culture here is so rewarding and and teaching is a rewarding profession anywhere but I mean we're also given you know a month off in October two months off for March and April and for you know Thai New Year's and a bunch of holidays and sick time and vacation time so yes you're working hard you know more like an eight to five like an eight to three eight to three thirty but you're not also teaching all day and I think that's a difference in America you teach your same class, let's say you're teaching primary level, you're teaching eight to three almost all day with like a little lunch period and maybe some time for kids to read and you to get some like some stuff done. I'm teaching 14 hours of that week. I'm actually in the classroom. Okay, that's cool. So and it's nice I'm at that, school, yeah. but you're really not too. You're not <laughs> working too much. <laughs> so yeah, really per hour, you're actually doing pretty well. And the the nice thing is because you have all those high holidays. Um, and on top of that, you get some of the normal holidays too. Mm. Uh, you actually do have time to explore the area, ex- explore the culture. Lots of travel time, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so that's cool. So that's definitely a good option for for people that you know aren't ready to actually build you know an online business and and some other aspect. And they just want to come out, um, start seeing the culture, and on their free time, they you know they can work on their blogs, they can work on you know writing or what, whatever else you're doing. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was um, so. We both went to the same uh, the same island to go scuba dive at the same dive shop, uh, Scuba Junkie, uh, which is a great shop. Mm. Um, but the, the difference was uh, you were a guest there and I was working there. <laughs> and you may not realize this, but it's the same thing as, you know, as what you were saying about when you're teaching. Um, it's not as fun when you're working there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of goes with anything, you know, but... Like he was saying, uh, Scuba Junkie in Borneo is one of the best dive sites I've been to in the world, not just for diving, but just organization. I mean, if, you're, if you've never scuba dived before or you're looking to do it in the future, it's definitely a great hobby, but you also tend to see where you go 
different centers treat you differently. And, you know, the good thing was that you go there and it's almost like a college cafeteria room. The food's just shoved down your throat. You eat as much as you want. You hang out. And then you just go on a boat and dive all day. I mean, life doesn't really get much better than that, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, not just the diving itself, but the actual lifestyle in Borneo at Scuba Junkie was incredible. It was probably the best diving experience I ever had in my mm, life. Yeah. And for the first two months, it actually felt like I was on vacation anyway. Yeah. So for those two months, I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, it didn't feel like work at all. But um, eventually, you know, wherever, wherever you are after a few months, you start getting tired of it. And I've decided uh, that I want to go back, but never again as an employee, uh, and not just there, anywhere Um I, I love scuba diving, but the reason why I haven't done it in over a year is because teaching every day basically killed my passion for it because it's very frustrating to mm. deal with scheduling, with mm. deal with um, some problem students, you know, to deal with things like that. Unfortunately, I haven't lost passion in speaking English, teaching English, <laughs> but I don't know. It could happen soon. Yeah. So, you know, that's why, you know, I'm so adamant about building my, my business is so I can afford to be able to travel and not have to work as a dive instructor and just be able to go for two weeks and just enjoy it as a guest. Mm. Um, because for example, so the, the daily schedule at Scuba Junkie is you wake up, you're on a tiny island, beautiful white sand beach. Uh, you wake up these, you know, these beautiful, you know, basically these wooden huts and there's a breakfast buffet. Uh, and everyone sits together at all the foods included, uh, there's no currency on the island, so nobody has any cash on them. You just you just basically show up, um, and they bill you for it at the end. When what's really cool is everybody eats together, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and there's nothing else to do there besides you know snorkeling and scuba diving. So you know you go to some of the best dive sites in the world. You come back, you have a break between dives. Uh, I, I don't remember, what do they serve you for a snack? I don't remember. It just depended. Every day was a little different. Uh, some days were themed like American food or, you know, I would say just fried food is basically American <laughs> food day. And then I think there was just like some little dessert snacks, like uh, I think uh, like banana cakes or like little chocolate cakes to like sweeten you up a little bit before you go back out there and dive. But I mean, it was just an all time experience. Uh, not that we're here to sell it, but we are a little bit. I mean, you should definitely go. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, as far as fish life, um, do you remember what you saw there? I remember seeing like the largest turtle I've ever seen in my life. Um, not to mention like sharks and just swimming with like thousands of fish. I don't know the names of the fish very well, uh, like uh, blue spotted uh, stingray. And um, honestly, the turtle was just like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It was probably like twice or three times the size of me. So Yeah, which is cool. And here's the thing is, whenever you ask any travelers, especially here in Thailand, where the best diving is, what do they say? Probably Koh Tao or something and like realistically, that. And realistically? It's not. It's Well, if you want to see people when you're underwater, Koh Tao is probably the best dive site in the world. I mean, it's the best place to get certified for cheap. Um, but that's like anything. You know, you can go to the most expensive place in the world and, and spend a ton to get certified. But Koh Tao does it cheap and... You, then you can go everywhere else and it yeah. still works. But at the same time, I mean, you really do get, get what you pay for. I taught scuba diving uh, in Kotao as well, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not being biased about it. Uh, the people that you know learned there, they still got the same certification. They still you know got relatively the same instruction. Um, but the difference is they didn't really get the same kind of leisurely experience mm, of being, you know, true. of having, you Just know. being a, out in the water by yourself when you feel no one around you. 
And I think Kotal can just kind of, you're diving around the corner. You're like, oh, wow, look at this great coral reef. And you see these fish and you turn your corner and there's a whole nother dive group just yeah. right there. Like what was really cool about teaching diving at Scuba Junkie in Borneo was uh, our, instead of having a swimming pool, we taught our, what do you call the confined water, which is the shallow water portions, the skills, um, right off our dock. Mm. And just under that dock, you'd see you know, some really, really cool fish mm. that you would never see anywhere else, like really all of Thailand. And, you know, just off of a dock, there was a, my favorite diet type called Awas, where you would always be guaranteed to see at least a couple turtles. Uh, you see school squid, you might see mm. uh, some cuttlefish, mm. um, and just, you know, really awesome things that, you know, and the best thing about it is you don't even have to go on a boat for that. So in between dives, you can come up, you can have some food, sit, sit around. I always have food in Borneo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you never go hungry over there. Yeah. Um, and what was the best for me, at least, it was at night, there's nothing to do besides, you know, watch the sunset on the beach. People grab a beer. Right sit around and there was a bar uh, upstairs of Scuba Junkie where there was, you know, nobody had any cash, so everything just goes in a tab. Uh, so everybody's like, hey, put it on my tab, put it on my tab, uh, live music, and we play a lot of board games. And it, it was, I mean... I think that I think that's also, you touched on a great point compared to Koh Tao or like a busy dive center between Borneo and Koh Tao is you go to Koh Tao and yeah, you're diving, you're getting your certification, but you're also in nightlife in southern Thailand, which is thousands of other backpackers doing completely different things. Um, and I think you can kind of get lost in just, I'm traveling and being a tourist and partying. Well, then diving is kind of a way of life where diving is, you just kind of relax. Everything's slowed down, you know. You don't think being underwater is so exhausting, hardly swimming. <laughs> but then you get out of the water and I'm done for the day after two or three dives, you know, only a couple hours underwater and you're just, I'm done. And you just want to sit down and relax. And yeah. It's great. And I think that what the best thing about it was is because there's nowhere to go and everyone's forced to eat together, uh, there's only one bar, uh, you really develop good relationships with the people who are out there, especially because they're pretty serious about wanting to dive at the best place because, you know, they had to really go out of their way to go to get to Borneo uh, to go diving. Versus Kotal, usually what, what it is is they're in Bangkok. Somebody says, hey, you should go to Kotal for diving. They say, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a little, you know, stone's throw away. Yeah, it's really they close. stop by on the way to the full moon party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just on the way. Oh, this is convenient. Let's get this done. It's so cheap. I mean, it's I don't actually remember what the price is, but it's only like 100 or $200, I want to say. It's not very Yeah, expensive. and you know, diving is one of those things where I was really, you know, I was wondering, I'm like, why did nobody tell me how cool this was? And I had to discover it on my own uh, pretty late in my life. I mean, I think I was already 28 by the time I even heard about, you know, that's possible screw dive, aside from seeing it on James Bond movies. <laughs> yeah, actually, diving never even occurred to me as something I wanted to do before I left America. It just comes to you. I was just in, like, almost the same thing. I was in Bangkok as a traveler. Hey, we should go get our diving license. Sounds great. And that's how it happened. Yeah. So I definitely would not recommend people become a, a scuba diving instructor, even though the money actually it can be pretty good. Um, it's possible to make a few thousand dollars a month from being a full-time dive instructor, but it's also very stressful and frustrating. Um, and it becomes kind of a, a career where you feel like you're so invested in it. That it's kind of hard to, especially because the training is so expensive that it's hard to kind of leave it. Uh, I was pretty fortunate where, you know, I, I basically found other streams of income. And so now I can do it just for fun. Um, 
But what I do recommend for people to do is definitely do your open water class and just dive for fun. And if you want to work in the scuba diving industry, you can be something. You can be something called a dive master, which is a very easy training course. Relatively, it's it takes less than three months, uh, less than a thousand dollars to do, and you can basically be an underwater guide for people who are already certified. And dive masters can travel around the world and and enjoy, you know really enjoy diving basically for free while taking people out. Um, and have it and be able to get a job relatively easy, especially if you speak another language. Mm, absolutely. Well, that kind of just goes back to what I did in Australia. You know, just farming on the land, just living for free. I mean, imagine if I wasn't mulching a palm tree farm, if I was just diving all over the world. So I definitely recommend it. I'm not a dive master myself, but it's definitely quite appealing when you you're diving with these people and they're telling you, "Oh, I just live here and I just hang out." And I'm like, "That's the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> you know, you live here on this island and you don't make money but you don't spend anything it's it's a great setup yeah i think it's awesome to do for a year or two um you know what i really like about you know this podcast and expanding horizons is you realize how many different opportunities there are in the world to make money and travel and that you don't have to just be in one place Uh, i think the biggest downside to uh the scuba diving industry is a lot of people who meet who you know basically get stuck on the same island for four or five years and they no longer love it. They're no longer passionate about it. They're a bit bored, but they feel like, Hey, I have a job here. Life's pretty easy. You know, I get a, you know, I get a dive. Um, I might as well just stay around because it's, it's too, it costs too much for them to pack up, mm. buy a plane ticket somewhere else and try mm. to find another job. Yeah. I think that touches on a good point of just traveling in general. It's easy to get away from home and feel like there's another home. You get so excited at the places you go, you're just like, I can live here forever. And I think you get a little stagnant. Not that I think people should just travel two or three days and check things off their list, because I don't agree with that either. But I, when I lived in Australia as well, I worked at a hostel, and that was also free. I didn't get paid anything, but I lived with a roof over my head for three or four months. But just living there, they basically fed me because there's so much food all over the place that I ate for free and lived for free. But I realized there were people who literally mopped floors every day like I was doing for almost two or three years. And I don't think that's a really good transition, you know, to leave from where you're from and then just live in a hostel your rest of your life. So I'd probably say don't get too stagnant. But it's definitely easy to pick up these little jobs for months at a time to keep it going. Well, I think a lot of it is kind of... um the reward ratio where let's say you get to go to a brand new place that you've never been to, um, explore the culture, see all these new cool places. And in exchange, you have to clean the hostel every day for the first week. It's absolutely worth it because you know, you get all these new experiences, but after you've already seen everything, then you're just doing slave labor for no reason. And Australia is great for slave labor. I mean, honestly, everybody I know who goes to Australia at least Americans, because we have limitations on how long we can stay. Um, we're also almost always forced into these like low-income type <laughs> living situations, and we love it. We absolutely love it. It's like the best thing that's ever happened to us. And then I come from Australia to Thailand, and I realize I've just jumped from mopping floors, living for nothing, to making money in Thailand is just one of the craziest yeah. transitions. And I've for ever doing seen. less work out here too. It's un- <laughs> unbelievable. I, you know, I worked. Every day, seven days a week, mopping the same floors from <laughs> 7 to 10 a.m. And yeah, I met unbelievable travelers and we partied our asses off. I mean, the amount of partying you do at a hostel is just 
like you cannot compare it to any college or university you went to. It is by far the craziest party scenes I've ever seen. And then you go from that to having your own luxury apartment in Thailand where you don't cook food anymore. You just go get it everywhere. And what a transition. It's it's pretty cool though. But it's a cool experience. And also, you know, for the people listening out there, um, no matter what age you are, I, if you haven't really traveled and lived abroad, I highly, highly encourage you to do so. And you know, I mean, the best case scenario would be, you know, you have online business that you could run from anywhere and you have income, income coming in and you can live, you know, basically do whatever you want. Um, but the second best scenario is you have no money, you come and you work, you know, you work make a little bit yeah. and you just make it happen because you still get that same experience. Yeah. Um, so no matter where you are in your you know entrepreneurial journey, you know, just, just drop everything and just come out because even with almost no savings, you could figure something out. Yeah, I think that's a good point of just people being scared to leave their home too. Everyone, everyone thinks, oh, you know, that was a part of my life. I don't need to do that. I could have done that when I was young. Or, you know, the truth is everyone travels for a different reason. You know, you meet, like we met today. We're here for completely different reasons, yet we still have the same mindset. It's still, we want culture. We're still learning the world and we still want to keep moving around. So yeah. it doesn't matter the reason you came out here. As long as you stick to that reason, you just let everyone else kind of influence you on the way. So just uh, a little bit earlier today, before I, I met you during dinner, uh, I, I booked a couple of flights out to Cambodia. And the reason why I did it was because, just because I, I'm nearby, <laughs> Thailand's close by, and I've never been. Uh, so one kind of annoying thing about Thailand, uh, but it's also kind of a great thing, is every two months, you're forced to do something with your visa. Uh, if you're on a, on a tourist visa like I am. So every two months, I either need to go wait in line at the immigration office um, so I can get a 30-day extension, or I can leave the country and I can get 60 days again. So instead of you know doing kind of boring things um, that take up a whole day, either taking a bus to the border or coming back or standing in line at the immigration, I've decided, you know what, hey, every two months, let me take a vacation somewhere. So... That's a hard life, man. <laughs> I, I think there's people listening to this who are going, wow, man, that just sounds awful. <laughs> well, I mean, but to be honest, for a second, I actually, you know, start thinking, oh, you know, I'm a bit too lazy. You know, it's kind of a pain in the butt to, to fly out because I have to go through Bangkok first and then I have to, you know, plan the trip. Um, Poor it's, you, man. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier just to stay content and just stay here where I have friends. You know, I have a nice apartment. I could just do nothing. I could just leave my life the same. But what I had realized is, you know what? Life really is too short not to have new adventures. So I, you know, I went and reached out my network on Facebook and I said, hey, who's been to Cambodia? Where should I go? And it was easier than reading a guidebook. You know, I don't even own a Lonely Planet or anything. Yeah, me neither. I just asked people and they, they say, okay, you know, fly into Siem Reap, check out the ancient temples there, make your way down on this, uh, what they call a hotel bus, mm-hmm. where it's overnight bus, but everyone gets their own bed, Wi-Fi, and their own TV. Yeah, you got to be careful. The Wi-Fi is hard to get on, but everything else is legit. Okay, well, I figure <laughs> I was, I'm just going to be sleeping on that bus anyway. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take that down to Phnom Penh, uh, which I heard is a really cool city. Yeah, it's a great place, man. And from there, I'm going to go down to, I don't remember the name of the islands. Sanookville. Uh, Sanookville. Cool, wrong island, yeah. You know, and I saw some photos, white sand beaches, beautiful place. Definitely real, yeah. It's, it's a seven kilometer white sand beach that literally has like 20 people on it because no one's there. It's on an island called Korong off the coast on the uh, southeast part of Cambodia, or sorry, south, southwest part of Cambodia. And, uh, there's no one on this island, and not to mention there's not many people. There's like hardly any electricity as well. 
the whole islands run on a couple gasoline generators and they run them a couple hours a day only for nighttime. So <laughs> you have no electricity. So you have no phone, you have no internet and you just enjoy the island and it's, it's lovely. And in fact, I might as well say it cause I know that there's a, a Russian entrepreneur that just bought the island for some crazy amount of money and he wants to make it into some sort of resort golf course, um, tourism park which would totally ruin the entire idea of what I thought it was. So if you're listening to this, definitely get on your way to Coral Island before it's too late. Yeah. And you know, it, even um, a lot of places that, that we travel to, if you wait a few years, they're, they're literally going to be gone. Uh, like scuba diving, now it's, it's, it really is getting harder and harder to find good dive sites. Um, and not because of the scuba diving industry killing it. It's more of uh, land development and overfishing. So if anything, uh, the actual scuba divers at the actual scuba diving resorts, they're, they're basically the ambassadors of the sea. Where, Even though, yes, some of them do do things where they bring out too many tourists um, that, you know, that touch coral or break things, um, they have their negative effects. But overall, in the big picture, they're the ones seeing and documenting the change um, that you know, is, is basically destroying all the reefs. And the reason why I mention this is there's a really, really big chance that in the next 10 years, you're not going to be able to dive and see these same things that, that you can see this year. So that is a big reason why you should not wait. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, well, I just was watching some news uh, thing on something on the TV. I hardly watch TV, but it was playing, and it was talking about the Great Barrier Reef and how they're trying to open up parts of the Great Barrier Reef to allow imports and exports. And... That just sounded ridiculous, like to cut through the Great Barrier Reef, like one of the most landmark dive sites in the world. Um, and that's just for business. So you know big business is trying to step in and trying to, to get, make, it, make its doors a little bigger in Australia, which scares a lot of places. Yeah. Well, even that, that site that we were at, Sibidan, mm -hmm. uh, Jacques Cousteau was there, um, and he, he quoted, uh, I've seen places just as beautiful as Sibidan, but unfortunately, those places no longer exist. This is the last place on earth mm. that is this beautiful. And that really broke my heart because I was thinking, like, fuck, you know, yeah. it, 30 years ago, um, this, I mean, you could have you dove in 20, 30 places that, are, that were this nice, um, but no longer. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. You know, it, it's a lot of business, a lot of things. A lot of it's just even mass tourism, you know, and all these places become so popular. I mean... I can even say from just being in Thailand for about eight months now, the amount of tourists that are now living here, the amount of tourists that are doing exactly what we're telling everyone to do, which is what we hate, but we love it at the same time, is just so many people are trying to do things differently. I, I mean, I feel like people back home in the States, I don't know Europe as well, but everyone is looking for a way out. Everyone is looking for something different now. And it's becoming easy for people to move to these dive sites and open businesses and start creating more tourism to kind of water it down. Yeah, definitely. So if anything, I hope this, this episode kind of inspired you, uh, for you guys who are living back home, um, who haven't started traveling yet, or the people who are living kind of a stagnant life, you know, in a place like Chiang Mai, wherever you're traveling at to really go out and see more and do more. Um, uh, so 
Steven, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Anytime. Yeah, so uh, if you want to check out your blog, uh, what's the address? It's wordsofwinston.tumblr.com. And uh, it's fairly new, but I post as many funny stories as I can. I, I teach English here in Thailand, and you wouldn't be surprised the crazy stuff I have to go through in a classroom. And just dealing with Thai people day in and day out can be quite hilarious. All right, very cool. And if you guys want to read more about um, my scuba diving adventures and you know, really the four the first four years of me traveling around Thailand uh, on a budget. I have a book on Amazon. It's called 12 Weeks in Thailand. And you, also, you can also go to 12weeksinthailand.com. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.